encourage you to turn to Galatians chapter 6. That's not the first passage we'll come to, but it's one where we're going to spend some time this evening. Put a marker there in Galatians chapter 6. We're involved in a series we're doing on Sunday evenings on the child of God. We've talked about the happy child of God, the mature child of God, and tonight we want to focus on the spiritual child of God. And then next Lord's Day, we'll talk about the assured child of God. And just a note about next Lord's Day, Michael Webb will be with us in the preacher training program. He'll start with us next week. He'll preach one of the times next week and begin be preaching one time each Sunday for the next year or so. And so we look forward to him, Andrea, being with us. And he'll be with us next Lord's Day. Let's talk about the spiritual child of God tonight. That phrase, the spiritual man or a spiritual person, surfaces in the writings of Paul. For example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, I said Galatians 6 would not be our first passage. So let's jump over to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 just to get a sampling of how this phrase, the spiritual person, surfaces in the writings of Paul. He was concerned about writing to them that he could not write unto them as unto spiritual people, but as unto carnal. We'll see that contrast a little bit later on in our study. But he was concerned that they were not the spiritual people they needed to be. And so he talks about those who are spiritual. Galatians 6 and verse 1, to which you have put a marker there, or a finger, you which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. We'll come back and read all of that context here in just a moment. But the very fact that these two passages and others mentioned a spiritual person raises some questions. Just who is the spiritual person that he's discussing, for example, in Galatians 6 and verse 1? You who are spiritual implies some are not spiritual. And so who are the spiritual people? And so who is he talking about in Galatians 6 and verse 1? And it raises another question. Once I know who the spiritual person is, then am I the spiritual man of which he speaks? Is he talking about me? Am I included in that? Could I be described as per the context, the spiritual person of Galatians 6 and in verse 1? And is it true that all Christians are spiritual? Just because someone has been baptized and they are a Christian and they're members of the body of Christ, does that make them the spiritual person of Galatians 6 and verse 1 of 1 Corinthians chapter 3? Well, to answer that question from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it's obvious to be a Christian does not guarantee that you are the spiritual person. So I could say, you know what, I've been baptized, I am a Christian, I go to church. That doesn't guarantee that I'm the spiritual person because Paul was writing to the church at Corinth and he was concerned that he was not writing unto them as spiritual but as unto carnal. You're not the spiritual people you need to be. So let's turn to Galatians 6 and verse 1 and read that verse and then we'll put it in its context and that'll be our study tonight. Verse 1 says this, Brethren, if anyone is overtaken in a fault, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Let's talk about that spiritual person that's mentioned in Galatians 6 and in verse 1. Now, to understand who the spiritual person is, then we need to look at the context. So let's look at verses 1 through 10. There's more to the context than that, but that's where the focal point's going to be in verses 1 to 10. So let's start back with verse 1 and read verses 1 to 10 of Galatians chapter 6. Brethren, if any man is overtaken in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. 
bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work, and then he'll have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For each one shall bear his own load. Let him who is taught in the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. For he that sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he that sows of the Spirit will of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good unto all, especially those who are of the household of faith. Now let's talk about the spiritual child of God based on Galatians chapter 6 in the context of verse 1. Three things we're going to notice in our study tonight from this context. We're going to talk about the definition of the spiritual child of God, the importance of being a spiritual child of God, and the characteristics that are identified here in the context. So first of all, before I can identify whether I am that child of God, that spiritual child of God, and whether I can identify someone else as that spiritual child of God, I need to know the definition of that. So let's start here with the definition of the spiritual person or that spiritual man or the spiritual child of God. First of all, let's consider the context shows that the spiritual person is one who is led and governed by the Spirit's teaching. It has to do with one that is led and is governed by the Spirit's teaching. How do I know that? I know that from the context. We start in Galatians 6.1, but let's back up. The immediate verse preceding our text is Galatians chapter 5, beginning at verse 16 through verse 26. And I want you to notice several phrases. You might underline these in the context as I have them on the screen before you. Notice that he says at verse 16, but I say, walk in the Spirit. Now, we're not going to read every verse, uh, every word of these verses. I want to notice these key phrases. So here in Galatians chapter 5, just before, now verse 26, when it locks off, the next verse is, if anyone is overtaken in a trespass, you who are spiritual. What's he talking about? He's just told us. Immediately before that, what has he just said? Well, look at verse 16. If you walk in the Spirit, then you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. What does it mean to walk in the Spirit? Could you say, I'm walking in the Spirit? What does that mean? It means I'm walking by the direction of the Spirit. The Spirit operates through the Word, Ephesians 3, 17. So as I'm walking in the Spirit, I am that spiritual person because I'm being led by and guided by the Spirit's teaching. All right, let's go further. Look at verse 18. But if you're led by the Spirit, that must be the same thing as walking in the Spirit. You're not under the law. Now, being led by the Spirit... We could say if you are under the gospel, you're not under the law. But when you're under the gospel, you're being led by the directions of the Spirit. So if you're led by the Spirit, you might underline that phrase. Drop down now to verse 22. In contrast to the works of the flesh, he talks about the fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. That is, if I'm walking in the Spirit and being led by the Spirit, here is the fruit that comes from following the teaching and the direction of the Spirit. Now let's go further. Look at verse 25. If we live in the Spirit, let us, not, let us also walk in the Spirit. Now notice those phrases of walking in the Spirit, led by the Spirit, fruit of the Spirit, live in the Spirit, and walking in the Spirit. Then he says in the very next verse, 
Ye who are spiritual, restore such a one. Paul, what do you mean by those who are spiritual? Talking about those who are willing to be led by the Spirit, who are following and developing the fruits of the Spirit, who are walking in the Spirit, being led by the teaching and the writing of the Holy Spirit. Now let's give further evidence of that by looking at Romans chapter 8. Romans 8 is another one of those passages where this phrase, the spiritual man, surfaces in the writings of Paul. We've noted 1 Corinthians. We've noted Galatians. Let's go this time to the book of Romans chapter 8 and in verse 6. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. And we'll come back to that contrast in a moment, but I want you to notice he talks about one who is spiritually minded in this context. Now drop down to verse 14 of Romans chapter 8. In the context of being spiritually minded, in verse 14, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. And that's also in the context of verse 16, that the Spirit of God bears witness with our spirit. How does the Spirit bear witness? Through the revelation. So I'm learning from this that one who is led by the revelation of the Spirit is one who is a spiritually minded person who is that spiritual man. Thayer defines this word spiritual in our text in Galatians 6 as belonging to the divine spirit or in reference to persons, which this text is, it is one who is filled with and governed by the Spirit of God. So if you are filled with, how are you filled? With the revelation that the Spirit gives through the revelation of God, through the Word. As I am filled with the Spirit and I'm led by the Spirit, then I am that spiritual person. Still defining now the idea or the definition or giving the definition of the spiritual man. It's one who is led and governed by the Spirit's teaching. But it's put in several passages in contrast to carnality. While you're open to Romans chapter 8, keep your finger there. And let's turn to verse 6 again. And notice this contrast between one who is spiritual and one who is carnal. It's the contrast to carnality. Verse 6, for to be carnally minded is death. But, but, here's a contrast, to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So what is the idea of a carnal mind? A carnal mind is following a system of thought that views life with self at the center. There is not an emphasis on spiritual things. There is not an emphasis on God. There is not an emphasis on the revelation of God. <clears throat> but self becomes the center, living life to fulfill the lust and the desires of the flesh, whatever I want. Living as I want to live. That's the idea of the carnal mind. Now let's notice another passage in Ephesians chapter 2 and in verse 3. We're just trying to get some definitions in our mind. Ephesians chapter 2 and in verse 3. Paul talks about how the, the uh, heathen world, that is the pagan world, lived before they become children of God. Among whom also we once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh. That's the carnal mind. Fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. That describes the carnal man, the carnal mind. So it is in contrast to carnality. The spiritual man is not carnal. The carnal man is not spiritual. But let's even go further. Let's consider the fact that it follows, that is, the spiritual mind follows a system of thought that views life with God and God's will being at the center of life. What a contrast to carnality. So you say, who is the spiritual man? The spiritual man, the spiritual child of God, views life 
with God and the revelation of God being at the center of his life. Here are passages we're familiar with. Matthew 6 and verse 33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Seek first for God to rule in your heart more than anything else, above anything else, for God to rule and govern your life. Now that would be parallel to being led by the Spirit, wouldn't it? For God to rule in your life. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 22. Here's a parallel account to the things that we talked about this morning from Mark chapter 12 when Jesus was asked concerning the greatest commandment. Can you tell me what is the greatest commandment? We looked at Mark's account. Let's look at Matthew's account where Jesus answered saying, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And then he says, The second was like unto it, loving your neighbor as yourself, and on this hang all the law and the prophets. What's the point here? The point is, viewing God and his will at the center of life, you love God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength, and everything else will take care of itself. Hebrews chapter 13 and in verse 14 should summarize the, the, the life of a spiritual man, the spiritual child of God. And that is, he's got his mind not set on this world, but he's got his mind set on things that are in the future, that is eternity. For here have we no continuing city, but we seek one to come. The spiritual man is so devoted to God that nothing takes precedence over that. That's first, that's foremost, that's the priority of his or her life. But now let's talk about the importance of that. I now know what it means to be a spiritual child of God. And now I can answer the question of whether or not I am the spiritual child of God. Am I being led by the Spirit of God? Am I, do I have God at the center and the core of my life? Or serving self is at the center and the core of my life? Am I a carnal man? Then I'm not spiritual. But what's the importance of being a spiritual child of God? Let's go back to the context now of Galatians chapter 6. I want you to see that it's not just that it makes you more of a devoted person. In other words, you don't have a real good child of God here, but he's not really spiritually minded, but he's still a good child of God. But then you have some that are a little more devoted, and they are the spiritual child of God. That's not the point of Galatians chapter 6. What Galatians 6 is going to show me that it has everything to do with eternity. If you're not a spiritual child of God, then you need to be fearful about eternity. How so? Well, let's see Galatians chapter 6. Same context, same passage that is just defined for us now who the spiritual child of God is. Now let's see what he says in the context in verses 7 and 8. In verse 7 he said, be not deceived, God is not mocked. Does it mean God is not mocked? You can't fool God. See, you can fool man. You see, I could pretend to be a spiritual-minded person, and you think I'm a spiritually-minded person. You think I'm a spiritual child of God, and I fooled you. You could fool me. But we can't fool God. That means, that's what he means, that God is not mocked. Here's why we say God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. He that sows to the flesh, not the spiritual man, will of the flesh reap corruption, but he that sows to the spirit, the spiritual man, will of the spirit reap life everlasting. Let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. You see, the kind of man that he is, whether he's the spiritual man or the carnal man, has everything to do with whether or not he's going to go to heaven or not. Let's notice that same point now in Romans 8. We've already noticed verse 6. So let's go back to the 8th chapter of the book of Romans where we saw the spiritually minded person who is led by the Spirit, verse 14. 
Now what does this passage say about the importance of being a spiritually minded person? And so don't begin to think, you know what, I'm not the spiritually minded person, but I'm glad I'm still going to heaven. But there are others who are spiritually minded people. They are spiritual children of God, but I'm, but I, I'm not, but I'm glad there are people like that. You need to be a spiritual child of God. Here's why. Let's look at verses 7 and 8 of Romans 6. Now remember, I'm Romans 8 rather. Verse 6, it talked about the spiritual man versus the carnal man. Now verse 7. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God and is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. Well, that's not a Calvinistic thought, that if you have a carnal mind, there's no way ever that you could bring your life to be submissive to the will of God. What he's saying, as long as you have that carnal mind, you never will submit to the will of God. Further definition of what it means to be the spiritual man. Now verse 8. Verse 8. So then those who are of the flesh cannot please God. Now notice what he's just told us. The carnal minded, go back to verse 6. For to be carnally minded is death. It leads to spiritual death. To be spiritually minded has to do with life and peace. The carnal man is against God. He's not subject to the law of God and he cannot please God, verse 8. And so I see it has everything to do with eternity. That tells me the importance. Now let's move to a third thing and this is where we'll spend the rest of our time and the bulk of our time. Let's talk about the characteristics. So how can I identify the spiritual man in my life and in the life of others? I can look at the context of Galatians 6 and verse 1 and identify several characteristics about that spiritual man. Let's start with verse 1. First of all, Galatians 6 and verse 1 tells me that he is sincere and not a hypocrite. Let's see verse 1. If anyone is overtaken in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one. That's far enough to make our point. You say, I didn't see anything there about hypocrisy. But here's what I did see. I see in Galatians 6, 1, he's told to go restore and correct the faults of others. If you have a brother that's overtaken in a sin, you go and you restore them. But Matthew 7 had said that the hypocrite is told to fix his own life first and then go and remove the speck from his brother's eye. Remember that? I mean, he's to remove all of his hypocrisy. So the spiritual man is one who's already removed all of his hypocrisy. So if there is hypocrisy, you're not in a position to go and correct someone about their sin. So I'm learning from verse 1, a characteristic of the spiritual man is he's not a hypocrite. He's sincere, he's genuine through and through. Here's a second characteristic found in that same verse. He has concern for souls. The spiritual child of God has concern for souls. Look at verse 1. Anyone is overtaken in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. He's concerned for souls because he understands the consequence of sin. If you restore one from his erring way, you, restore, uh, you brought a, a, a brother from death. You saved a soul from death, James chapter 5, 19 and 20. So he understands the consequence of sin. He doesn't look at his brother or his sister who's in sin and say, you know what, they're not living like they should, but it's not a big deal. He understands the consequence of sin. He also understands the value of the soul, that it's worth more than the whole world. That we're talking about a soul, not a physical life, but we're talking about a soul that lives on for eternity. He well understands that. He seeks to restore them, which means to mend, as in mending the nets, fixing a problem. 
It's a surgical term. It's used with reference to setting a bone. A bone that has been broken needs to be set and put back in place. And so those who are spiritual can be instrumental in restoring those who are gone astray, those who are overtaken in a trespass. But notice at the end of verse 1, he proceeds with a meek or a gentle appeal. We'll see the reason for that a little bit later. But he has an interest in soul. But what I want you to notice about that gentle appeal is not just telling him how to do that, but the gentle appeal that he has, proceeding with this meekness, tells me that he has a genuine interest in souls. He's not just interested in telling somebody they've done wrong. He's not interested in getting back with them because they have commit, condemned him at some point. He's trying to approach them with the spirit that says, you know what, I'm trying to salvage you. I'm trying to help you. But here's another characteristic at verse 1 and also verse 4. He makes application to himself. The spiritual child of God makes application to himself. Look at verse 1. Brethren, if anyone is overtaken in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Now look at verse 4. Let each one examine his own work, and then he'll have rejoicing in himself alone, and not in another. You see, the spiritual child of God is concerned if he himself is living right, and he checks to see if he's living right. 2 Corinthians 13, 5 says, examine yourselves whether you're in the faith. Now, there comes a point at which we examine others. You say, well, where does the Bible say examine others? Verse 1 of Galatians 6. Well, if one is overtaken in a trespass, you restore them. I've got to make some examination that I see he's in sin and I need to go help him. But I need to look at myself. Make application to myself. You see, he realizes that he's not without temptation. He doesn't approach someone saying, you know what, I know you're tempted and I know you're prone to sin and I want to help you. He looks at himself saying, you know what, I'm also prone to temptation and I also do sin. And it could be that I'll need this brother or someone else to approach me sometime and restore me. And that's why he approaches him in the spirit of gentleness. He makes a critical look at his own shortcomings and recognizes those shortcomings. And he makes application to himself and not just to others. Quite often when we hear a Bible lesson or we read a Bible text or we read an article somewhere, we think immediately about someone that we know that needs that before we think about application to ourselves. We as preachers sometimes are the worst at doing that. We, we see something, man, I need to preach on this because I know somebody that needs this lesson when maybe it's me that needs it more than anyone else. And so the spiritual person, the spiritual child of God makes application to himself. Here's another characteristic found here in our text at verse 2. And that is he bears others' burdens. Now verse 2 says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Immediately in the context of one being overtaken in a trespass. But perhaps it includes more. But he doesn't think, you know what, that's his problem. He's got a problem with sin. He got himself into that problem. I didn't get him there. Let him bear the consequences. Let him deal with that. I'm not interested in helping him. That's not his attitude. He bears another's burden. He does more than tolerate someone else. He does more than tolerate their problems. He does more than tolerate the, the pain of having to deal with that, but he bears with and he helps carry the load of that. You see, he seeks to shoulder and carry part of the load for them. 
And what can I do to help you? What can I help you do to get on your feet? What can I help you do to be restored? What can I help you do to lighten your load and your burden and make your life easier? Here's another characteristic of the spiritual child of God. Look at verse 3. He's humble. Now, verse 3 doesn't mention the word humble, but notice what it does say. Verse 3 says, If anyone thinks of himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. He does not think of himself more than what he is. We often talk about humility from the vantage point of, of our abilities. So don't think of yourself as having greater abilities than someone else. Don't think of yourself as more important than someone else. And perhaps that's included here, but immediately the context. I think he's talking about his own view of spirituality. I think he's talking in this context, don't be overconfident about your spiritual standing. Now let's see if that's not what he's saying in the context. Let's start back at verse 1. One is overtaken in a fault, and you who are spiritual, I just considered myself to be spiritual. Because I'm going to talk to him. And I'm to help him bear his burdens. And don't think yourself to be something when you're nothing. Don't think yourself to be uh, free from temptation when you are subject to temptation. Don't think of yourself that you'll never get in that circumstance when you may be in that circumstance in the future. That don't think of yourself as so much stronger that you would never succumb to the temptation like he did because you may succumb to that temptation. So don't think of your spirituality and your spiritual standing and your stamina and your spiritual strength and your faith greater than what it is. Recognize your own frailty. The spiritual man recognizes that. Here's another characteristic of the spiritual child of God. He thinks about the impact of all of his words and all of his actions on his soul. He doesn't just think about how it affects him financially. He doesn't just think about how it affects him physically. But he thinks about everything that he does and the impact that it has upon his, his soul. Let's start at verse 9. Be not deceived. That tells me it's possible I could be deceived. And in, likely, in all likelihood, many are and most are deceived about this very matter. Like what? Well, God is not mocked. For whatever man sows, that will he also reap. Now verse 8, he that sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. What is the impact on his soul? If I sow to the flesh and I live like I want and I'm the carnal man, then I'm going to reap accordingly. That's the impact it has on my soul. But he that sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap life everlasting. That's the impact it has on my soul. You see, he understands the principle we reap what we sow. So everything that he does, he does what is best for him spiritually and for his spirituality. He's thinking, you know what, this decision I'm making, it may not impact me spiritually. It may make me better financially. I may be better educationally, but it's going to impact me negatively spiritually. I want to think about the impact on my soul. That's the spiritual child of God. But here's another characteristic. And another characteristic is he doesn't grow weary, verse 9. The spiritual child of God doesn't grow weary. Look at verse 9. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart, if we do not become discouraged. You see, he knows his labor is not in vain. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Hold your finger at Galatians 6. We're coming back. But he doesn't become so discouraged. He doesn't really give up when he's discouraged because of this very principle of 1 Corinthians 15 and in verse 58. The text, the text says, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. In other words, stay the course. Don't be swayed to the right or to the left. 
Don't let the winds of change blow you one direction or the other. Why am I going to stay steadfast and unmovable, abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord? I know I'll reap if I do not faint, if I do not lose heart. I recognize that I could easily give up, but he's not going to be discouraged easily when the pressure is on. He doesn't throw up his hands and quit. The spiritual child of God doesn't grow weary in doing good. But finally, let's look at verse 6 and verse 10. The spiritual child of God is one who cares. He genuinely cares. Well, that was evidence from verse 1. Because you recognize one is overtaken in a trespass and I want to go restore them. I don't want to lose them at all. I want to restore them. He cares. But that's not the only verse in the context that tells me that. Let's go to verse 2. We haven't even got to the ones on the screen yet. But verse 2 says he's bearing another's burden. So fulfilling the law of Christ. Now then, at verse 9, or verse 6 rather. Let him who is taught in the word share in all good things with him who teaches. I think that passage is talking about sharing in the, and supporting the gospel, probably in this passage on an individual basis. And when we contribute into the treasury and then money's taken out of the treasury and support preaching of the gospel around the world as we do here, then you have fellowship in that and so you participate in that and you're sharing in that. So the men we support in the Philippines or in India or in this country, you are having fellowship in that and so you're taking money and putting it into the treasury and you're helping support that. And so we're all contributing to that. But I'm not sure that that's what this verse is talking about. There are some of you individually who've taken money. You don't make a big splash. You don't announce that because that's not your motive. You're taking money out of your pocket. I know of that. And you're supporting gospel preachers somewhere as an individual. You're doing what Galatians 6.6 6 is talking about. Let's read the verse again in that light. Let him who is taught in the word, that's the Christian, who's learned the gospel, share in all good things with him who teaches. He's helping support the preaching of the gospel. Some might not have the opportunity to do that, but others of you are doing that. You're taking out of your funds and you're sending to a preacher supporting him out of your individual funds in addition to giving into the treasury. You're doing what Galatians 6 to 6 is talking about. You care about the preaching of the gospel. Now let's go to verse 10. Verse 10 talks about another idea of caring. As we therefore have opportunity, let us do good unto all, especially those who are the household of faith. That is quoted most often in the context of benevolence. As you have opportunity, help those who are in need, especially those who are Christians. And that would be included. But I'm not convinced that's limited to benevolence. That could be in the sharing of the gospel. As you have opportunity, let us do good unto all men. That could be encouraging someone. Aren't you doing good unto all men? Especially those of the household of faith. But it probably predominantly deals with the idea of benevolence. You're doing that because you care. So you're supporting the preaching of the gospel because you care. You're, you're helping those who are in need because you care. So what are the characteristics of the spiritual child of God? Now you can know whether or not you are the spiritual child. They're sincere and they're not a hypocrite. They're concerned about souls. They make application to themselves. They bear burdens for other people. They're humble about their spiritual condition. They think about their impact upon their own soul of what they say and what they do. They don't grow weary. They don't give up when the pressure is on. And they care about the spread of the gospel. They care about those who indeed are in need. The spiritual child of God. We've seen the definition, the importance, and the characteristics all confined in the context of Galatians chapter 6. Next time we'll talk about the assured 
child of God. The one who is the assured, the confident child of God. The one who has assurance. What does the Bible say about that? We'll talk about that in our next and final study about the child of God. There may be one here who's not a Christian, who's not a child of God. Would you come tonight believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Would you repent of your sins, acknowledge your faith, and be buried in the waters of baptism for the remission of sins? If you're subject in any way, would you come while together we stand and while we sing?